Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I met the goldfish. I saw the photo. We All right, let's talk about that. Was it everything you thought it would be? Was he friendly? Was he standoffish? What was the vibe? Uh, Jack's a nice guy. I believe that's his name. And uh, No, no, no. The young man with the fish. And um, I very much enjoyed. We were a few folks behind them in security at Pittsburgh, which was very crowded. The security line very much enjoyed watching TSA navigate the idea of a goldfish going through security. Oh, that's why, like, truthfully, it was just like I'm pretty sure they had to go get the supervisor of the supervisor to make sure goldfish and water were allowed through security. And you know, this being old hat for the goldfish and presumably Jack, it was just enjoyable to kind of watch it all transpire because, like, they know it can happen, they know it can be done, but like, you're, you're watching it. So as we're giving our ID to the gentleman to let us go to security, who had also let Jack and Goldfish go through, we, of course, made sure to ask him, so how many goldfishes have you ever seen come through security? And the answer? <laughs> One. <laughs> how was, uh, do you think he's a good pet owner, Jack? I mean, the fish looked happy. Do you think, wait, do you think it's the same fish that's been there every I year? Know. I I had that laugh where I'm like, I, I did initially wonder if he was just going to a different town and buying a new goldfish and giving that goldfish the best 24 hours of its life. But I think it might actually be the same goldfish. There's no way. All right. Average life expectancy of goldfish. A golden retriever popped up. No, I'm not going to look at that. It's going to make me sad. About 10 to 15 years. That's. <laughs> Dang. I can't be right. Yeah, Brendan. With some varieties living up to 30 years when provided with proper care. <laughs> Apparently, like, I saw, I think it was um, the Democrat posted a story about it. Like, he he replaces the, the water in the bags to make sure it's, like, great for the, the fish. Um, I just, like, how does he feed it? I got, I'm sure. He I mean, I've heard he feeds it before he, you know, packs a fly. Uh, here, yeah, here's something that's bothered me. Doesn't need to be fed, like. He, he's day. bringing it around in a plastic bag and water, obviously, everywhere. What happens if a hole gets poked in it? Does he have a backup plan? You better is quickly that... grab a cup and fill it with water is what I think he probably will be doing. I don't know. Maybe it's just he's so keen on gotta... safety that maybe it's just not a concern. He's it's getting, like, it's letting... like ball security. This guy goes through ball security drills, except for it's water. He, for he's letting like drills. people take it into the locker room where he is not allowed in. So like, yeah, I, I, what I, if I did have... I did have that thought of just randomly like two O-linemen smashing it together like cream in between two Oreo cookies and, you know, it all goes bad real fast. I don't know. It just popped in my head watching, you know, 
uh, J-Dub and Mike Morvell dance with goldfish. I think what we, we all know that this is basically uh, some poetic universal like balance of what happened to Turtle and now what's happening to this lovely goldfish. Things have balanced out in the universe and Florida State's winning again. R.I.P. Turtle. You guys want to get started with the show? Probably should, yeah. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, joined by Zach Wallstein, Chris Nee. Chris, welcome back to Tallahassee. How were your travels to gloomy Pittsburgh? Uh, it was a good trip. It was good times. Um, everything went smoothly. Walking in the door at around 2 a.m. last night wasn't the best feeling in the world, but hey, that's what you get for flying out of Jacksonville, Chris. Oh, yeah, that that, that was an interesting choice. I didn't know you did that. Um, Zach, what do you think about FSU 24, Pitt 7, 24-7 free sponsorship for us? Yeah, when I heard it, when they heard when I heard it uh read aloud on the uh broadcast, well said. thank you. Uh I was hyped that they gave us a shout out. No, I mean do you want to get into the game right now? Yeah, let's let well before we get going into the game, uh shout out to our sponsor for this segment, Chattanooga Whiskey. What bottle do I want to talk about? I'm just gonna turn around and grab one. It is one of their single barrels. Oh, it's the roasted. Super sweet, delicious. They roast the malt before uh, before the stilling process. Cool thing about Chattanooga Whiskey is they have all sorts of experimental batches. This is one of them, and you can find it in a lot of different stores. Uh, Chattanooga Whiskey, bourbon, rye, all sorts of whiskeys. They're doing an incredible job. Happy to have them as our sponsor. Find it all throughout the Southeast. Multiple shops here in Tallahassee carry it. So it's a brand that keeps growing. Great sponsor, great product, good stuff. Yeah, let's get into it, Zach. 24-7 to FSU wins. Uh, not a pretty game, not an ugly game. What would we say on a scale like one to ten on the pretty to ugly scale for a game? Ten being I the would, prettiest. Yeah, I would say a two. Um, Whoa! I don't think it was. I'm not. I'm not in the camp that it was a a great win. Although, like you know, the caveat, obviously, missing two of your best playmakers on the team, and Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. I, I don't know, man. Like the defense. Like that was not ugly for sure. Um, they did what they were supposed to do, but the offense was, you know, was sluggish. And I think that was to be expected um, once we realized that those two guys, those two playmakers are going to be out. Um, but man, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, let's, so the two wide receivers being out is not something to gloss over. I'm not saying that you're glossing over, but that is a huge part of the game and of your game plan and of the story of telling what happened on Saturday and that doesn't excuse like being poor in some situations and long stretches of not sustaining drives but it's an offense built for playmakers built on getting good players in one-on-one spacing and you missed two of them I was watching the game at home because I didn't travel this weekend uh, with my wife and early on when they were kind of struggling and they moved the ball well the first two drives they just had a turnover and then a turnover and downs on fourth and one but zero points on the first two drives that were well scripted and, and her frustration is like, she, she's like, so this offense is just built off of like three good players. And I was like, well, yeah, that's just, that's, that's how football is for the most part. Like you take away a really good player and you take away two, like it's going to have consequences and cause and effect. So I think it, 
Chris, I want to get your thoughts. I think that the loss of those two, and then just the wide receiver depth in general, no hiking Williams, Duke Span not able to go, Kentron Portier banged up, playing, you know, probably 60, 70%. I think it kind of exposed some of the warts on the offense, um, all with the the grain of salt, like that you still are a top 25 offense and still really good, uh, even when you don't, and you're able to move the ball when you don't have those guys. But it, it was noticeably different and less explosive at times. Yeah, I thought the absence of Coleman and Wilson very much impacted probably how Pitt attacked FSU. Pitt was very much willing to put a whole lot of people in the box and work downhill aggressively and try to take away a run. And for a majority of the game, they did that very effectively. Uh, those running stats look drastically different because of the 55-yard scamper by Trey Benson. And again, it's body blows and eventually break one. That's what you're trying to do, and FSU did do that. So not to take away from what FSU ultimately accomplished on the ground. But for a majority of that game, Pitt did a very good job of taking away the run. The issue is that they were basically allowing one-on-one shots down the field, and FSU is going to love to take one-on-one shots down the field. They do that a ton. You know, FSU took basically nine shots down the field. They completed two of them. Uh, now, thinking quickly on those, there's one that was in the double coverage on a third down where they were able to throw a couple people back there. They threw Tron incomplete. There were at least, I believe, three one-on-ones where basically the Pitt DB went and made a better play than the FSU wide receiver that it was intended for. And that's just a matter of if you have Keon Coleman and or Johnny Wilson or both, in most of those cases, you're probably feeling pretty confident you're going to win more often than you lose. So let's go with two for three where you win them type of numbers. So I think that's some of what impacted it. In general, it very much felt like a load management game. You know, Coleman traveled. I think he was very close to playing. He obviously did not, but I don't think it was some major distance. I know Wilson traveled. I don't think he was close at all to playing. Never expected him to play in this one going into the week. But then you look at a guy like Jaheim Bell, for example, didn't start, only got, what, about 30 or so 33, reps. I think is what the exact yeah. number was. And, you know, you have Morlock and Douglas out there more at tight end. It just kind of felt that way with this game. Uh, no Jerry and Jones on defense. Uh, yeah, again, really? dressed. Deuce Band, dressed, did not play. Both of those guys, I believe, had wraps on the back of their knees. Um, you know, things that didn't look super bad, but essentially things that are probably nagging and you worry about, well, if they go out there and overexert themselves or exert themselves to their full capacity, are they going to aggravate this further and impact their availability down the stretch over the next three, four weeks of the season? Um, you know, FSU went, they won, they produced 500 yards on the road offensively. I find it tough to kind of be overly judgmental about an offense going on the road and producing 500 yards. And yes, this pit team's nowhere near as good as many of Pat Narduzzi's teams at Pitt, but, you know, Pat still knows how to coach. Um, and those guys still are on scholarship. And guys like Devonshire and, well, McMillan didn't really do much in the game, but Devonshire I thought was really good in the game. The, there were a few other defense is competent. They, they have a competent uh, defense. Statistically, they do. They're, they're I offense. know, but their defense is capable of being attacked and teams hitting explosives on. FSU just didn't do that at a great rate, and they still did produce a lot of explosive, but not to what we're used to with FSU's offense. And it did feel like in the game, the bigger issue for FSU, especially early on, third and shorts, I think their average third down distance on like their first five, six tries was about three and a half, three point eight 3.8 yards, Just and they were really poor on them. And obviously they had the fourth down, they didn't convert. Now on the flip side, I thought defense played a really good game, probably the best game they truthfully played this year beginning to end. Uh, obviously allowed one really good drive of substance, Gave up the explosive where Cypress makes a great hustle play, uh, speaks to culture, speaks to everything. I thought Braden Fist speaking on that kind of just on his own in a way when I was talking about, I thought very much spoke on how that defense views themselves as a group, you know, all for one, as Kalen Deloach talked about. Um, 
But all in all, I thought the defense played a really good game. You know, active around the ball, good tackling, not a whole lot of missed tackles on the day. Uh, very much settled in, shut down Pitt. And Pitt's offense is nothing special, and we knew that going in. We had talked about how they hadn't had a 100-yard rusher outside of one game, had a 100-yard receiver outside of one game. So didn't expect much there. But all in all, it felt like get there, get a win, get out as healthy as you were entering it, which wasn't particularly healthy, but don't get any worse in that regard. Come back to Tallahassee, be secured in the ACC championship game, which FSU now is with that victory. Prepare for the team that's coming up this Saturday and just keep the train moving. The the offense to me felt a lot like 2021 offense, just in kind yeah. of some Jakai Douglas. Yeah. We're getting one on ones. We're just not always winning them. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a degree of that. And, you know, I always thought about the conversations that you used to have with Kenny Dillingham when he was here as OC of like, we're producing one on ones. We're doing things to create one on ones, but you got to go win them. Like, ultimately, you have to go win them in FSU their hit rate on that wasn't great. Now, when they did screen action or things underneath, they were super effective. I think there were 15 for 15 on anything short and under. Um, intermediate was fine. It was more the two for nine vertically deep where they just, they were ineffective. They weren't very good in that regard on the day. And that speaks to Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson won their talent, but it's also a crutch because that's what the offense has become through eight, nine games. And you don't want to go Crutch. But you don't you don't want to go away from it. It's who you are. It's your identity. Right. Uh, if something is more severe for one of those two guys when you're playing a more quality opponent, I don't know if the identity of the offense is transformative at this point in the season to get to where they need to be. So that's when when I talked about warts earlier. I think we're kind of saying something similar. It's like there are some. I think I think there's a ceiling for what the run game is right now. I think at this point we're nine games into it and like, it's not a bad run game. We're viewing it in the prism and when people get frustrated with it, that like it's not four or five yards consistently, it's one, two, sometimes three yards and then you bust one. And, but that's what you are. You're a 25 rushing attack nationally, but you're not a lead at it. Don't want to cut you off there, but some of the rushing issue was the offensive line wasn't particularly good. I mean, they allowed what 11 tackles for loss. I believe it was the pit again, pit threw a lot of bodies at them, but there were instances where guys just missed blocks or guys just weren't good enough at finishing blocks, and they got to be better. The O line has been, in general, I would say slightly disappointing on the season for sure when it comes to the rushing attack. It's been average. It's been a, it's it's been been a good as a pass line. blocking group yeah. predominantly. So. They're, they're an average power five offensive line. They're not special. They do have depth when they've been able to withstand, you know. Robert yeah, but like the guard depth isn't very good. I mean, Casey Rod keeps getting rolled out there, and I'm not trying to pick on any individual, but Casey Rod's played the second most snaps of any offensive lineman behind Jeremiah Byers. And, you know, I, I don't know if that would be the case if Demetri Emanuel could play a full game of snaps and he didn't have to lean on Keandre Jones being the guy who relieves Meech more often. You know, and I don't think they want to throw somebody in the fire. I think uh, there's a major goal with the offensive line this year of go with the eight we have, be good with them. But for the love of God, let's not push a guy in there and rush him out there and play him a ton of major snaps and important moments and ruin them. They do want to get guys experience later in games, you know, the Armellas, the Earlys, those type. But I don't think they want them out there on drive three of a football game that's super competitive against a high-level opponent where they get bent backwards, mess up something, and, you know, we restart the cycle of what we're trying to get ourselves out of with the offensive line historically. I think it was a an important game, an important win, because for a guy like Ja'Kai Douglas, hadn't really been featured much in the offense. Um, obviously, had that big catch against Wake, 
but this is a breakout game for him um, in the absence of Keon and Johnny. And I think it is only going to help Florida State moving forward because they have a sample size of like, hey, this guy can do these things very well. Um, and he's going to build that internal confidence to where, you know, they they have multiple wideout targets that they can trust. Um, and I think that's going to be important, you know, once Keon and Johnny do come back um, and, and, you know, that offense is is back to normal. Um, you know, I think it's going to be important for Ja'Kai Douglas to be a, a, a featured guy at that slot position. Um, we've talked about, you know, at length about how, how they, you know, maybe hadn't utilized it a ton. Um, especially earlier on in the season. Well, I think this is the kind of game that maybe develops that connection with Jordan Travis and Ja'Kai Douglas. And also just, like I said, builds confidence for Douglas moving forward. Yeah, I thought Dre Jacobs was another guy who he got yeah. limited reps, but I thought he made he the most of what he got. He did yeah. let the fans know they're number one. Probably wasn't the most popular <laughs> thing with certain people in the locker room on staff. But, you know, Dre's got that dog in him. And I, I'm – game for him seeing a little bit of spot duty but yeah Ja'Kai had I think two catches entering the game on the season we know what Ja'Kai can contribute to this team he's done it historically for them as a group but for him to go out there and have that kind of day and know he had to be the guy it was pretty important you know Darian didn't really make the most of the opportunity which was disappointing I don't think Kentron is still feeling great um and Destin Hill certainly doesn't look 100% so like that group's got to get healthy but like okay let's say you get Keon Coleman back this week probably and potentially Johnny Wilson. I think to to Zach's point, like Ja'Kai Douglas who missed the first part of the season, much like last season, I think it was a similar injury. They're not like trying to get in a rhythm and some sort of groove. And like you saw him come back, what was like three weeks ago and he looked really fresh in practice and you can see some of the route running and like, Oh, that's all looked a little different with the skill set that he brings with being super quick and and twitchy. Uh, But then just struggling to kind of come down with catches because I think you're just, getting used to the speed of the game and all that stuff. This was a continuation of a nice moment or two against Wake Forest to go ahead, have six catches on nine targets. He had 115 yards. I don't think it's a big surprise that FSU's two touchdowns in the third quarter came on drives where he was able to, to win off slot fades and you get the offense going off of chunk passes. Two great passes, by the way, by Jordan Travis, who we didn't talk a lot about, uh, but 22 or 36 360 yards, one touchdown, also ran for another, like just kind of keeps chipping away at, at being really, really solid, really good this season. Uh, not a dynamic game by Jordan, but like one that he kind of took over at times and uh, made some big throws when he had to because there wasn't a whole lot of help around him uh, in terms of the wide receivers. So to get Ja'Kai going, I think you're, it's a good point, Zach. Like that's that's important because it, it does add an extra wrinkle or element to your offense. Uh, real quick, Jordan Travis was limping a little bit at the end of the game. I think it may have happened. Gone back and tried to watch it a few times. I think it may have happened on that double flea flicker play, the, the second to last series. Um, I don't know if I love the double flea flicker there. Uh, you know, twenty four seven. Why did you have? I don't, I don't get that call personally. I don't know. It, it doesn't make know. a lot of sense. You're. You know, because you take yourself out of field goal range when it when it busts. Well, just um, before that, like why why would you use a trick play in that situation? The game's had something to show. Well, maybe had. maybe they thought I'm playing psychologist here. Maybe they thought Pitt thought it would be very pedestrian when they play call, and they thought they might catch them off guard. 
but what's the importance of score? Like, the, obviously, it's important to score every drive, but what's the importance of scoring there? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to, to well, review that. Where you are on the field is kind of a trick play, like, area that was like the 30 yeah. or 40. It's kind of gadget play area. Well, so like the, the sequence of the game, like where, where they were at in the game. I, I understand if it was a quarter earlier, I totally get using that play. Well, you, you score there if you have another drive or two. It's completely substitute. It's done. You can empty the bench so, a drive earlier. I think that's some of it. The thing I – when I thought back on the game yesterday and, you know, just – I didn't get to rewatch it just because of travel and whatnot. But uh, uh, the short yardage issues, it, it's – you know, it's an area where I thought FSU would be improved this season. And in reality, I just don't think they really are. And I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if changing the way you call plays there. Like, I don't love a jet sweep end around on third down necessarily in such a situation. But they're also not good at just lining up and running it. So you just they can't run block. Like they're not they're not in a, a consistently good run blocking team. They can pass block pretty well, but that offensive line just consistently lets defenders into the backfield on on you know short yarded situations. And it, it makes it impossible, like you said, Chris, to to just run it up the middle like you know any big physical team wants to do with a 223 pound running back yeah but that's a that's a situation that over the next four to eight weeks as they play for more they have to figure out because they're going to yeah. be put in that situation by good defenses and you got to win it more often than you lose it the funny thing is fsu truthfully on third downs feels more comfortable and tougher to get situations than what should feel like easier to get are, situations Jordan, and that's just sort of weird i think part of that's because you're at your your best we're really good when Jordan drops back and has time to scan the field and people don't want to necessarily blitz him because he can run uh, if he has to scramble right away. Um, I want to be morally opposed to them really spreading teams out on third and shorts and making them make a decision on whether or not they're going to try to keep Jordan in the pocket or allow the QB draw by covering it up. Yeah, I, I just I think lining up being jumbo being big hasn't been super effective for them. And certainly trying to run with power and shorter yardage hasn't been overly effective for them. Yeah, I'm trying to find I'm just interested where that trends in the coming weeks, how they try to address that, because obviously they care immensely about cash downs and being successful on that. And they were excellent defensively in this game on that, not allowing a single conversion to pit on defense. And offensively, they did better as the game progressed. But there were some situations early where they just couldn't get done. Right, let's see real quick because I just want to, I like to debunk or confirm stuff. Uh, so offensive success rate on. Third and fourth and short is what we want to do, right? Yeah, year over year. Is it? Oh, just no, just this year. Uh, I just want to see if, like, are they are they bad at it or not? So three, three or fewer to go. Yeah, I, I think technically on stat broadcast it's usually four or less, but yeah, sure. Ooh, okay, their success rate is seventy fifth nationally, so below average at it. Yeah. Um, you look at teams that are like ahead of them. Yeah, Alabama's up there, LSU, Miami coming up this weekend. So yeah, not not great for Florida State. Um, I just feel like that's a, beyond the O-line blocking better in general. I think that's the biggest key for the offense, feeling like it has more consistency, rhythm, and just that can flat-out dominate, dominate folks. I feel like some of the abruptness of the ending of series and the shortness of some series is largely due to getting into winnable third downs and failing to win. Real quick, you guys aren't worried about Jordan. Like, I, we kind of just no. went off. The- no, I, I – no. I – Observed him after the game. He was, you know, looked fine. He's a tough-ass kid. He ain't missing money in the game. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. 
Uh, let's move on to our next. Well, you know, real quick, uh, the battle's end player of the game, offense, defense. Who we give the game ball to, fellas? Offensively, right. Ja'Kai Douglas stepped up. Big moments, big plays. Jordan Travis can be in that conversation too. I'd probably give it to. I'll do it to Jakai. I'll give it to Jakai just because we may not always have that opportunity. So Jakai played really, really well. Like I was been here from the beginning. Uh, hat tip there. Exactly. Zach, Zach's an audio medium shaking his head. So just say what you. I say. said something. You just talked over me. Uh, I did not. Defense. Conrad Hussey is the player of the game. Who's your offensive player of the game? I didn't have to pay him off for that. Douglas. Okay. Uh, yeah, I thought Hussey or Deloach defensively. I also thought Fisk piled another really good game on top of a good run of games here, and I'm glad the stat also shows that. Yeah, so Jared Burst stole half of his sack. Braden Fisk would be mine. Uh, he was he was dominant when they got him isolated on that left guard. He just whipped that dude's ass. So the, yeah, I fun. very much like the defense coming out of the locker room and getting them down to the ground two times. They, they had had pressure in the first half. They just hadn't ended plays. I thought it was very important that they kind of set that tone for the second half right out of the locker room. Interesting. I don't know what the number is. I think it's like one in every six like pass deflections is normally intercepted, and they actually lead the power five in pass yeah, deflections. Fifty-two pass, pass breakups, I think it is. Yeah, 50, 58. Um, they're up there, but goes. they're like eighty fourth nationally in in interceptions. And yeah. The pit game was like this prime example of just like, oh, it's so close, and they got one with the errant throw to Conrad Hussey. Which, by the way, if that field doesn't suck, like he he's his, you see from one angle, his cleat gets like enveloped by the grass he might have been able to house so, that one speaking so. of crappy grass uh the benson run early i think the fourth down play actually does he's the grass just give on him yeah he just he's tripped he's falling forward before and not in a way of like i'm finishing the run like i'm trying to keep my footing before he, he makes contact with the i thought benson ran very well in the game ran hard yes yeah he missed like, one... very much straight forward and very aggressive forward Man missed maybe one cut where he actually tried to cut it back inside instead of like trying to dance and bounce outside. I think he tried to force it inside early on, stretch play to the right side. Uh, but other than that, like, yeah, he he ran really hard. PFF only gave him like three or four missed tackles. I think he had that many like on one one play. So he was he was good. And that's another guy like Zach mentioned, Ja'Kai Douglas earlier, kind of gaining some confidence. I think we've seen two weeks now of Trey Benson starting to kind of build some some confidence. And it's coming at just the right time because guys – get into it it's Miami hate week and last year Trey Benson ran wild uh, FSU did in general with the counter play all over Miami Miami's obviously revamped their defensive front their secondary a lot of transfers I don't know if that's something that people talk about or care to talk about but uh, the defense has uh, has been very good for Miami this year the offense been a bit of a hot mess I'm really looking forward to talking about that team and evaluating them throughout the week here but uh, but Miami's coming off of a disappointing, disappointing game to uh, NC State, with they lose twenty to six, and I don't think any of us were necessarily rooting for Miami to win, but like could have been a prime time game if you just handled your business and they, they couldn't do yeah. that. I mean, they picked like even with the Miami loss, I still don't understand ABC's decision to have Texas and TCU as the prime time slot. Like TCU's awful this year. It's crazy, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, I was in the same boat. Like I, you know, uh, as a, you know, for most Florida state fans, I feel like, you know, they weren't rooting for Miami to win, but it you know, wouldn't have been the worst thing because a night game in Doak is always fun, but it's a three thirty kick as they announced yesterday. And 
How long, why did it take them so long to announce? Do, do either of you have any intel on that? I don't know, but I really wish they would have let me know they were going to wait till the middle of the day. Because about 12.45 a.m. on Sunday morning, I was really struggling to stay awake hoping they might drop it. You must made it up for the time change. Which, by the way, time change, can we... What are we doing? Byersonone time change. Oh, sponsored by the... Group. Uh, Sonone. I just... Yeah, so the no. farmers the farmers can wake up a little with the dark. I, I what are we doing? I don't know. I thought, I thought was it did it not get past the the um, law? They've been talking about it. I don't know. I I totally thought it was like done for after the last one. Like I, I feel like I had a friend tell me that it was, but I guess that was a myth. They lied to you. You know, it's yeah. super disorienting. I have some like I have a friend who has to go to school uh, in somewhere in the Panhandle. And so they have to drive to the Panhandle and then back a couple of days of the week to Tallahassee, and they switch time zones. Can you imagine how disorienting that would have to be to be switching time zones multiple times each week? You're like not living in the same world that we are. It's like another timeline. Yeah. Anyways, it'll at least be kind of dark for the Miami game. It, it'll be a little darker out early. I think that's how that works. I'm not sure. Um, there will be. <laughs> there will back back on topic here. There will be a lot of recruits on campus for the That's Miami game. Yeah, there will be a ton. Um, I don't know exactly. Do we want to we'll, – we'll shout out our sponsor for the recruiting talk here. Like, But do we want to do a ton of recruiting information right now? We want to wait and just do like a giant one in the middle of the week, I guess. Uh, how, how do you want to proceed here? I mean, we can preview it a little bit. We've talked about it a bunch. We're um, chipping away, yeah. Dating back to last week. But, I mean, the full visitor list is on those 24-7. This – this uh, recruiting segment is brought to you by Football Coach College Dynasty, the number one college football management game for PC. It's available on Steam. Steam. You can be a coach, create game plans, call plays, recruit players, develop your team, and compete for national championships. It features everything you love or hate about college football, including conference realignment, school boosters, official visits for recruits, the transfer portal, and even NIL football coach college dynasty is available on steam for $15. What Brennan, what was that screenshot you sent me of one of our uh, listeners? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think Dan will mind. Uh, Dan's a buddy. Uh, Hi, Noel on our, uh, on our message board, sent a screenshot of, he got into the game. I didn't know he was doing like he was this into it. He went, 70 seasons at FAU, I think it was, and won 28 championships on like the hardest level. So I think he mastered, like, I think he's done. Like, I don't think he played the game anymore at that point. You you won, you beat it. So good job, Heinel. That's crazy. Makes your little little two titles at Tulane look kind of shitty in comparison. You must be playing all day. Shout out. I'm getting you boys back on track here. Jamari Howard. Oh, Jamari Howard committing this week, Friday. Yes, 11 a.m. on Friday. He will announce live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. So make sure to to be there at Friday at 11 a.m. I'll have live coverage. Um, we'll be streaming it on my laptop. Yeah, uh, so here, here's the deal. If there's any technological issues, and this is a national audience watching it, it's, it's on Zach. Zach. 100% on Zach. <laughs> you guys are going to get a uh, an earful in the group chat, as you guys love on commitment days. But... But yeah, this time I, Texas, I have one less computer now. <laughs> yeah, uh, this time 
I won't be streaming off my phone. So hopefully it'll be better. I'm already in touch with the guy at the venue to try and get on a private Wi-Fi network. We're trying to get the best possible streaming um, for this for this awesome event. Jamari Howard, um, he's a four-star defensive back in the top two four seven. A guy that's um, been committed to Michigan State in the past, reopened his recruitment. Florida State, ever since then, even before he reopened his recruitment, was kind of the school, um, you know, holding the lead, I think, um, for his services. This fall, myself, Steve Wolfong, I think Brendan also entered a crystal ball Show in crystal. favor of Florida State to land Jamari Howard. I originally thought he was going to wait until signing day. Um, that was the original plan for for Jamari, but he has moved that up to the day before the Miami game. I still feel very good about where FSU stands a little under a week away. Um, now we'll just have to wait until Friday to see where Jamari Howard will attend. It it, it does feel, why don't we all have the crystal balls in there, Zach? It does feel very Florida State. Like, who else at this point? He hasn't really visited any, like... Yeah, I mean... At one point, it seemed like Florida was going to be the biggest competition, but he, like, no-showed three visits in a row there. And, like, one of them was, like, where he just showed up at FSU for multiple days at the end of July. So that was a, that was a big win for FSU. And I think UF kind of moved, like, in a different direction because they realized they didn't really have a shot with him. Um, but, I mean, the other schools are, like, Rutgers, Michigan State, and Penn State or Maryland or something like that. Damn you, so. Rutgers was giving Ohio State a bit of a game for a half. I know, game. right? And then Come they on. throw that pick six. Keep the ball on the ground. What are you doing? Um, All right, Zach. So real quick, final five exercise. Is this guy showing up at the Miami game? Jeremiah Smith, number one on your list. Yes. Jamari Howard, who we just talked about. Maybe. Number three on the list, Artavius Jones. Maybe. Number four, Debo White. No. Denaz White for people who aren't sure who Debu is. I don't that think Denaz is showing up anymore. Okay, I I'll double check when at one point he had planned to yeah I know I think to the Duke game and yeah. he still threw out that he might come back to Miami but at this I point they're gonna bring him in for yeah Xavier Lucas who's number five yes he's the Wisconsin commit we talked I think we talked about him last time um, he's a guy that Miami and FSU are both trying to flip from Wisconsin. Attends American Heritage High School where Pat Sertan, the FSU defensive back coach, was the former head coach at for multiple years. So they have a connection, um, and I'm told that he'll be up in Tallahassee this weekend to watch the Hurricanes and Seminoles go at it. Byers Some, to known FSU gets more than one. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I got sorry. I got I got. Well, I know you had another one in the chamber, Chris. Well, I was going to bring up an honorable mention guy who might be a little important. Five star wide receiver Cam Coleman, Texas A&M commitment. Yeah, so we broke that on Saturday thanks to our UF site um, because Cam Coleman was at UF's loss to Arkansas over the weekend. So was Jeremiah Smith, by the way, side note. Let's, let's, um, let's, let's pick Suey. Let's revel in that for a second. Yeah. Um, what a That's a wild loss. I mean, Arkansas, I told you, did I tell you in the beginning of the week that Arkansas was going to have a good shot at that one? Yeah, I mean, they, right got their, they got their best player back on offense yeah, in Rocket Sanders, and KJ Jefferson was – awesome in that game like did not oh, start well. no, he, kj jefferson was not awesome in that game he was poop for half of it what are you talking about he was so bad for like long durations they wanted yes, spite 200 of rushing yards oh well i guess i meant throwing the football because he plays quarterback oh he he did fine in that department he wasn't amazing but he was awesome on the ground he literally bullied uf's defense in the in overtime another point mom and dad were fighting cam coleman five-star Wide receiver. He hasn't been at Florida State since the spring. 
and he will be back on campus for the Miami game, he told 24-7 Sports over the weekend. I've been hearing that he was expected, but I had not personally confirmed it with Cam. We got that confirmed, reported it. That's a huge visit. He's a guy, one of probably two remaining wide receiver targets for them, along with, you know, Jeremiah Smith. Um, they want, they, they, I mean, they have four guys committed right now, and they probably only want to add one more. And um, it'll, it'll be between, you know, whoever, whoever jumps in the boat um, or maybe not, because they're going to have to flip uh, either of these guys from their respective institutions. So Texas A&M and, and Ohio State are the two programs that have these guys committed. Cam Coleman's interesting. Uh, I think a lot of people before his commitment to Texas A&M thought he was going to Auburn um, because he's, he's from, from the state of Alabama. Alabama. And he just kind of randomly one day over the summer just committed to Texas A&M. And, I wonder why. Yeah. Right around the 4th of July, right? Yes. It was completely random. Like, at one point, like, there was, like, yeah, I, there was, like, crystal balls, I think, for Auburn that week. Um, so just a weird recruitment. And then he's taken multiple visits to Auburn since. He took a visit to UF over the weekend, and he'll make it back to FSU. Those are the three schools, he said, that are pushing hardest to flip him. He says he does intend to take official visits, so I'm assuming that's going to happen in December. His team's in the playoff race right now, so we'll see. I think Phoenix City is a pretty, you know, powerhouse program in Alabama. Um so we'll see how far they go. I know that that could impact, um, you know, official visit schedules. I, I know that's that's what's going to happen in the state of Florida for some of those teams that are going to make it all the way to states just because um, it'll go into multiple weekends in December, the, the playoff race and the state race. Uh, Auburn, by the way, Auburn's, I just pulled it up. Auburn's schedule, I was like, how are they, how are they doing in, in year one under, under Hugh? And they have a chance to go be bowl eligible. And it's because they've been pretty bad in conference. Uh, but they got to play, let's see, UMass, California, Samford, and then they'll play New Mexico State out of conference. So you don't you just it. play the ACC powerhouse California and walk away with a victory. <laughs> by Orson Ohm, sponsored by? The Turner Group. Turner. Do you think well, FSU would have room for both Cam Coleman and Jeremiah Smith? I mean, I mean, you make room. Yeah, 100% you make room. Um, I just don't see it happening, right? Like, that's a buy. B as in Beck. 100% buy, but I just don't see a, a, chance, a chance of that happening right now. I mean, maybe. I, like, if he, It feels likely that Cam Coleman's going to flip, right? Like, a and in absolute shambles. Um, oh, he definitely doesn't want to go play there. Byron Sinone, Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> Sinone. Sinone. Hard Sinone. Dude, he's a... Uh, Wow, just wow! What, five and nineteen in the last fourteen against P five. Yeah, and he's he's three games behind Kevin Sublin now. Yeah, yeah. In their record through however many games. How much of a fire sale is that place going to be this offseason, player wise? Oh my god! Save your save your portal allocation for uh, some of some of the, those defenders, I guess. Be my advice for everyone: just they're going to be getting out of there faster than a dude driving through the parking garage. <laughs> Do you think they'll be live streaming it too? Um, <laughs> best recruiting class of all time is all gone after this year. Sam McCall started for them this past week. How did he do? I I mean, they gave up 38 points, so I'm guessing not well. well Ole Miss is pretty good on offense. Yeah, but that doesn't Looking mean it up. Well. Did anybody else find the Lane Kiffin game day segment a little awkward? I didn't watch it, but Lane Kiffin in his press conference earlier in the week was 
awesome. Like when he was like, yeah, I heard Jimbo's goal is to be, uh, to go bowl eligible. So hopefully we can prevent that. 51.2 PFF grade for Sam McCall on 51 snaps. Wow. Targeted nine times, gave up seven receptions. <laughs> so it's a 77% completion percentage. Uh, one touchdown, only one. 155.8 passer rating when targeting him. He'll get better. But why didn't FSU give him more opportunities? Wow, you're really salty today. Yeah, geez, Brendan. It's the time change, man. Nine and oh, buddy. Get on the right side of life. Um, do we want to play Byers to know like a real game of Byers to know? I didn't write yes, it down. Brought to you by the Turner group. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Byers to know and Tyler Van Dyke. Sanone, sadly, he's very much gone the wrong direction. By Tyler Van Dyke, Sanone, the supporting cast, including the coaching staff. Oh, I think wow. Tyler Van Dyke is fine. I just like I think he's a good football player. He just there's something not right, either I'm, mentally or physically. I don't think he's real healthy. Yeah. I and I thought that before the NC State game two weeks ago. From what I've gathered, I don't if I, I know he's been injured at points this season, but like many around that program feel like it's a mental thing more than anything. And but Susan's on the case. But dude, if you watch like and we'll be chastised for reporting things accurately. It's not even like they're like they're contested interceptions. Like he's under throwing balls that are like they had an easy touchdown to Jacoby George in that NC State game, and he just underthrows it to the NC State defender who's trailing Jacoby George. Like it, and then another the second interception or one of the other ones, he does the exact same thing. So I, Zach, I had I had someone text me this weekend. I won't say who. I won't. I won't add him. They said they think that you are an undercover Miami fan. I'm not an undercover. I know who who texted you, by the way. Because um, they did they text you the same thing. No, but I know who you're talking about. Um, but no, nah, man. I it, it's just I'm from South Florida, so that's like the other school that I watched a ton um, growing up. Obviously, my parents went to Florida State, so you know went to a ton more FSU games. But I had a ton of friends that were Miami fans, um, so it was always you know watching that school. That's that's why like when people ask me like oh who's the bigger rival to me it's miami um but i understand like the older generation i feel like feels like it's florida i think my like well buyer sanone miami's fsu's biggest rival that's a buy for me buy for me i mean recently there yeah it recently it doesn't feel like like florida in in fsu like they don't cross paths a ton on the recruiting trail for some reason like they do a little bit right like lj mccray was won this cycle but Miami and FSU, like, because FSU just loves recruiting South Florida, and it feels like UF doesn't really recruit South Florida that much. Like, there, there's just a lot more, you know, intertwining with it, it, in those recruiting battles between Miami and FSU. And, and I'm going to do a piece on that this week, kind of the recruiting battles that shaped this rivalry this year in 2023. Um, and, and there's, you know, there's a number of guys that you guys are going to recognize on both rosters that are like, these these were Miami versus FSU battles. I can't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the same with with UF and, and FSU because I mean, if you look at US roster, like we don't. I don't recognize a ton of those guys from the recruiting cycle, like the recruiting process, like because there were guys that were like out of state or there were transfers that FSU wasn't really involved with. So or from Tampa, <laughs> true or Orlando, yeah. Um, even this weekend, like. Armando Blunt will be at the game in FSU and Miami. Obviously, like FSU flipped him for Miami. Miami's still trying there. Like 
this game, this atmosphere, how the team performs matters. If Artavis Jones makes it, like that's a guy FSU's had on campus twice in the last month, that matters. Jeremiah Smith, I don't think Miami's in contention for him anymore, at least not seriously. Uh, but, you know, this performance will matter for the number one recruit in the country who's from South Florida. Uh, sure. We didn't get your bias known, though, on it, Chris. Uh, with it, It's tough Miami, for me because I, I don't like either of them. Uh, I've been to plenty of games where each one has disrupted what FSU is trying to accomplish in a year. Um, and I grew up in Jacksonville, so obviously I was much more around Florida fans than Miami. Yeah. Fans. I feel like that's important. Like um, so, like, it's tough for me. I, I'd probably lean – I would lean towards Miami because they're in the conference, but they haven't done anything in the conference. And that's not me trying to take a shot. That's just true in their time in the conference. Um, so I, I and don't they know. still won't eliminate it from the ACC championship game uh, this past week. So yeah, I think I despise Miami more. I guess so. I guess yes. Yeah. Yeah, let the hate run through you. I didn't use the word hate. I don't like that word. But despise is kind of keep it up, Sano. Now hate be worse than hate. You'll despise me. Oh yeah. Uh, right. Bye, Orsonone. Trip to Charlotte, guys. We're going back. Bye. Credential applications in for myself and. At least two others. And Sonone's a to-be-determined. I'm a TBD. I'm a TBD based on what happens the rest of the year for travel purposes. If Jordan Travis goes to the Heisman ceremony, damn well know I'm going to be there, too. He's in the luggage. (laughs) Do you think he's going to bring you up on stage, too, buddy? Thank you for writing about me so nicely when no one else believed in me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for creating the J-Trav nickname. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Anything else? Do we want any more buyers and knowns? You guys got anything? We're up 45 minutes here. It's been, been quick. Byers and you watched the soccer match yesterday? Uh, no. I watched hey, good, good for I them. Watched, conference uh, champs. Let's on go. Twitter. Not just conference champs, still undefeated on the season. It's mighty That's crazy. And they'll be on one seed in the NCAA tournament field today when they field it, it. That is remarkable. Like, soccer's so fluky. You give up a goal early or something, and just, like, the game just changes totally yeah. uh, to be undefeated. That's They're crazy. unbelievably dominant down the stretch in games. It's, it's pretty awesome. Are they uh, they're, they're much better than last year? Or how Like, how would you compare those teams? I think it's just a very veteran-laden group. I mean, they got up to nine young ladies who will be departing the program because they're capable of departing because of their age. A few of them are COVID kids, so they could come back potentially. Uh, and I think it's just a matter of, like, you know, they accomplished a hell of a lot last year, but it was sort of like there was more and we're going to go do that. And they feel like a very determined group. Um, and Jordan Dudley, who's a freshman, has been a phenomenal addition. You know, her playing with like Oni, Echigini, Joe, as they call her. You know, that's two unbelievable offensive players up front. And then you got a whole lot of talent surrounding him. And credit Brian Penske. He got handed a great program with a great roster, but he retained that roster. And it, the ship has stayed on track completely in his two years here which isn't the easiest thing to do when you're replacing a guy who was a legend. Yeah. Uh, By Orsonone, FSU gets more than two flips in this cycle. Talked about this last month. Flips going forward? Well, yeah. Yeah, they're going to flip. I mean, Armando Blunt was a flip. Yeah, I'm not counting that one because it was, well, you know, yes, we'll count it. Two more. Go ahead, Zach. You're the recruiting guy. I don't think Zach knows what what I phrase. He's giving me a real stink face right now. This more, might be my fault. Yeah, more than two, so that has to be three. Or make it be four, but that has to be more than two. No, nah, so no, more than two. I think it's two. Okay. 
I'm Chris? with Zach. I agree with Zach. So, so no. Sorry, Colin. Uh, by Orsonum, FSU will be fairly healthy, contrary to what we thought saw from against Pittsburgh going into the Miami game. I'll buy that. Pitt was a load management game if I've ever seen one from FSU this season. I'll buy that as well. I do want to see Jordan Travis run this week. It'll make me feel better. I think I'm more anxious about it than anyone else is, though. So You anxious? Never. All right. That's enough for this episode of On the Bench. I want to thank all of our sponsors. Thank you guys for listening, participating. Appreciate it. This episode is not on YouTube because I didn't feel like putting on YouTube this morning. Sorry. All right. For Chris Nee, Zach Blossin, I'm Brendan Sinone. This is On the Bench. Check out Knowles 24-7 all week for our coverage as it is officially Miami Hate Week.